Now, there's a backstory that I want to tell you that I often don't tell around how was it that Oprah found me. I got a call and the call was, hey Paul, we've got this show. And I said, I've never seen it. And they said, well, we're looking for a host. Can you come? So we looked at each other, my wife and I said, let's just go to London. She liquidated her retirement fund. She used that to invest in the business. She really likes you. Um, <laughs> I was like, she actually does like me. Look at this, you yeah. know? This is Show on the Road, brought to you by Autotrader. We're driving famous faces on a personalized road trip, visiting the places that help shape them and hearing how the locations turn them into who they are today. We've matched each celebrity with a car chosen specifically for them. So join me, Alex Leguie, as we get this show on the road. My guest today, for he and his family, were flying to the UK to move here just for three months. And they're still here now. And it turns out it was the right move. Paul Brunson has very much cemented himself as world's most influential matchmaker. He's been co-hosting Celebs Go Dating and Married at First Sight and has most definitely made himself a very good name in the UK. Now, he is going to show me around London today, taking me to some of the haunts which have transformed a very strange city into what is now his home. We've matched him with this 6.2 litre V8 twisted Defender and it's been Paul's dream car since he was little apparently. In fact he even has a Lego figure of it so I'm very excited to see what he makes of the real thing. Here we go! <laughs> it definitely sounds good. Ah, look at it! Can I say, I've never been in one of these. No. No, no, I've never been in one. Oh my God, let me take this in for a second. And you've got the soft top. Isn't it hot? Oh my God, this is incredible. And you managed to work the door out. Oh yeah, oh, you saw, you saw that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look at that like, please, I hope I can open this door. All right, let me see. Wow, you know, this is so, have you driven one of these before? No. Yeah, this is, I love this. Yeah. This is like industrial. Ah, oh, man, this is so incredible. Can I have this? Yeah. <laughs> Do I get this? Yeah, at the well, end? we get to share it. Uh, okay. Yeah. We, we can share it. You yeah. Can have, you want it on weekends or weekdays? Weekends, please. Weekends? Okay. Yeah. Right, you got it. What's your connection to the Defender? Y you know, this is going to sound the dumbest story ever. <laughs> so, I have this Lego set. Right. <laughs> It's a Defender Lego set. As an adult. As an adult. Okay, all right. Um, and, uh, but no, you know, it's something that I do with my boys. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah. We, we, we built this Defender Lego set, and I was like, this is my car. Because, you know, I've always, I think growing up in New York, we would always see the, like, the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris go down the street and always think that that's the type of car yeah. that we should have, right? Is when you've, when you've made it, that's what you should have. But it wasn't until I built this Lego set where I said to myself, this is, this is it. And is it like a prized possession sitting on the mantelpiece? It is, it's, it's prized. Is it's, it? It's forest green, it sits on the mantelpiece. No one can touch it. It took us like three days to build this thing. But th that's what set it off. And then I started like really researching these, these vehicles and I just like, I love them. It is proper cool, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> We're off. So you weren't expecting to 
stay in the UK, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. No, I thought I would be here in the UK for three months, to be honest with you. Yeah, there was three months. So this is in 2018. I got a call. And the call was, hey, Paul, we've got this show here called right. Celebs Go Dating. And I said, I've never seen it. And they said, well, we're looking for a host. Can you come? And I thought, ah, I don't know if I can come. My wife and I had plotted three months that we were going to go to Jamaica. So we were going to leave the States, go to Jamaica. It happened that the three months perfectly overlapped. Right. So we looked at each other, my wife and I said, let's just go to London, you know. And so we ended up coming here. We spent time filming, but then also we traveled all, all throughout the UK, loved it, went back and thought that would be, that would be it. Right. Two weeks later, we get a call. It's like, Paul, the show's greenlit again for another series. Immediate, just like that. Before it had, it had even aired, it was greenlit again for another series. So the shoot date was within about two months, so we decided, okay, we'll come back again. So we came back again, said we'll stay for another three months. It'll be great. We'll do all the things that we didn't do. You know, we'll eat fish and chips because we didn't eat fish and <laughs> chips. You know, we'll have more gin because that's what everybody drinks. Um, and uh, we stayed for another three months, left, went back to the States for about two months this time, got another call. Paul, Greenland again. So then we came back for a third time. And then when we came back for a third time, I then got uh, picked up for Married at First Sight after that. And then it's been this, you know, Slubs Go Dating, Married at First Sight, Slubs Go Dating, Married at First Sight. So we just decided we would stay. <laughs> so that was, and that was five years ago. And in that time, you've come over and there's been a global pandemic in the middle of it all. Oh my God, yeah. Which, which you know, it's interesting. The pandemic um, was, was, was terrible, but the blessing in the pandemic is our, our family, we got an opportunity to stay. We were staying in this, uh, basically like this hotel. And so we had to stay almost in the same room, which would drive people crazy. But for us, it was a moment that I'll never forget because our family actually gelled. We became closer, you know, as a result of this. So, so yeah, yeah, the pandemic. Side note, one of my favorite coffee shops. Oh, oh yeah, what, right. this one? The yeah, Columbia yeah, yeah, yeah this one right company. here, the Columbia Coffee Company. That looks cool. Yeah, they do fair trade coffee. I didn't even know we were coming down here. This is a colorful part of town. This is what I love about London over New York, where yeah. I'm from, is... In London, I feel like everyone lives together. You have like a, you know, an a council estate on one corner, and then right across the street is like a five million pound home, and they're both shopping at the same, you know, grocers on yes. the corner. In the U.S., we're very segregated. So in New York, it's like all the Italians live here, all the Jamaicans live in this area, and and we're separated. And we're also separated socioeconomically, too. Yeah. But here, everyone is like, Psh. there are other cities like London, but there is no London in the world. And that's something that, yeah, we, we have to, you know, we have to be thankful that we could be here. What was Little Paul like and doing? I mean, you know, grew up in New York and grew up in Jamaica, Queens. It was very communal. It was basically all Jamaicans to the point where when I grew up, I thought America was Jamaica, <laughs> you know? Sports were very important, you know? So that's when I got to American football. 
and I've, I've played American football ever since I was little, you know, so um, I, I, I think, you know, rugby, I think, is much more brutal than American football. Do you football. think? Oh, my God, because you guys are doing it with no pads. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but so I played American football, played soccer, and, uh, and I was blessed. You know, my parents were together. They stayed together. They were great parents. Um, I had, you know, my grandparents. I had aunts and uncles. I had friends and family. So very loving environment. I felt like I could do anything. When did matchmaking come into your world? Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> matchmaking was big, Paul. So my first career was in finance. And ah. I, I was an investment banker, of all things. And I was managing the investments for a very wealthy Turkish family. Right. Uh, and so I was doing that in, this is like 2000 and seven and I and I'm, I always just say that I'm Jamaican so I have like 10 jobs always <laughs> and one so I'm doing that but one of my jobs is I had a nonprofit organization that provided tutoring services for low income household kids so kids basically kids that were impoverished you know and we provided these services for free to these kids one of these summer camps I had 100 kids in the summer camp and one question I would ask is, when they were registering, is how many parents live in your household? Not one of a hundred of these kids had two parents living in their household. So all of them just lived with basically their mother or their, their, their grandmother or their aunt. Very few had male figures in their household. So it got to the point where I was saying, okay, here we are, we're tutoring them on, on math or science, uh, but what fundamentally is happening in the household, there's something missing in the household. So the, ca the counselors would joke me and they would say, Paul, why don't you just become Hitch and just hook up all the, the, the moms? You know, why don't you do that? Because the, the movie Hitch had just come yeah. out. Come on, it was a great movie. And so I said, that's the worst idea, it's crazy. A year later, I'm Hitch, like no. pretty much. Um, so I, I ended up quitting my job and I doubled down and I went back to school for social psychology and I did an apprenticeship. So you just gave up your finance career and... Yeah, but, but I gave it up because I found something I was more passionate about. You know, I, I'm, um, I'm definitely a dreamer, you know. I mean, I just moved here, you know, to, to London. It's like, so I'm, I, like, uh, I like moving off of feeling. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, my Myers-Briggs, you know, I'm a feeler. So I like just moving off of, of, of how I feel. And I felt alive. Yeah. You know, th there's this one quote of don't, don't, don't do what you think you're supposed to do, um, you know, in terms of careers. Do what makes you feel, uh, do what makes you come alive. And, uh, and it just made me, you know, come alive. So, so I spent a year studying and then properly started matchmaking a year later. Unconventional. Yeah. Oprah definitely changed my life. She de definitely changed my life. I mean, that sentence in itself is, um, is a pretty cool one to have in your story, to, right? To, yeah, to be able to say Oprah changed my yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I have a lot of cool Oprah stories, but um, I think the, the, one, the most significant one is when I started my matchmaking, this matchmaking business, which, by the way, it wasn't mine. My wife 
liquidated her retirement fund. She was working uh, for a law firm. She liquidated her retirement fund. She used that to invest in the business. She really likes you. Um, <laughs> I was like, she actually does like me. Look at this. You know? yeah. uh, so, so she liquidates that. She, she gives the money over. I invest the money into this business. And basically, a year, by, a year goes by, and I have really nothing to show for it. And I said, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start creating YouTube videos. Now... I know you're probably thinking, what? You're gonna, you, you, you have a little bit of money left, you're going to do YouTube videos. And I said, no, I'm going to do YouTube videos because if I can express myself and tell the world what it is I'm doing, they, I, I can then convert those people into clients for a matchmaking business. So I started this YouTube series called The Modern Day Matchmaker. You could go to YouTube right now. And you will see there's nobody who's watched this thing. Still. Still. <laughs> Still nobody. I should just sit and watch it now. <laughs> but nobody's watched this thing. And every week we would put out this video and it would get like 11 views. And I knew my, my mom was watching nine times. You know, so it was like nobody really was watching this. It was one or two people watching. It turned out Oprah was one of the people watching. And she then eventually gives me a job to co-host a television show with her. And I had zero TV experience. I never ever thought I would be on television. She just picks me up and, and, and I co-host a show with her. Now, there's a backstory that I want to tell you that I, that I often don't tell around how was it that Oprah found me, mm. right? So remember I said I spent a year working on the business, didn't have anything to show for it. That year, you know what I was doing? I was doing free services. So I was taking on clients for free, working my ass off, like working very hard for them. And sometimes I would get results, sometimes I wouldn't, but I was always transparent with them. And I would say, I'm going to work hard for you. I may not get what you want, but I will work hard for you. So I did that with, you know, maybe say 30 to 40 clients over the year. It turns out, and I didn't find this out until much later, it turns out that one of the people I had offered those free services to was a writer for O Magazine. And she then later was on, a, on Oprah's jet, right, on her private plane. Oprah was talking openly about she had an idea for a new television show that she wanted to do around love. And she asks everyone on the plane, she says, does anyone have any fresh voices, any new voices in relationships or in, in, in love? And this woman says, yeah, have you heard of Paul Brunson? Oprah's like, no, I haven't heard of Paul Brunson. So they said, let's go find him. They go online to YouTube. They pull up the video. She starts watching the modern day matchmaker. And the reason why I think that's such an important story is because one, it goes to show that you, you know, you have, when you are providing a service or you're providing a product, you have to provide it at the highest level and not seek the immediate reward or the, the immediate return. I had 11 views. Oprah was one of them. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't need to have a million views on this video, no. you know, to, to get a, a project that would then change yeah. my life. That's amazing, isn't it? What year was that? So 2008 is when we launched the matchmaking business. 2008 to 2009, I was, uh, you know, had started it. I got, uh, well, my show was on air by 2010 with Oprah. You know, it's one of those where I think that 
you always have to check back as to why are you doing the thing. Yeah. Because if you're doing the thing for likes and for views, then okay, then you should take it down because you're because that's what you're doing it for. Yeah. But if you're doing it to inform, if you're doing it to help transform people's thoughts, if you're doing it to then continue to do that, no matter if you're helping one or one thousand or one million people. Yeah, I agree. Tell me more about Oprah. <laughs> she watched your YouTube video, and then what? So she she watched she watched several of the YouTube videos, and then she had. And you were like, "Whoa, twelve! <laughs> We've reached a peak!" Like, <laughs> darling, darling, come in here. Look. Views. No, actually, I would call up my friends. Did you watch? No. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch? No. Oh my gosh! That means someone who doesn't know us watched the we video. Got viral. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, but uh, but but what happened was kind of wild because so this is Facebook had just really become a thing. Yeah. Right. So I got a, an inbox message on Facebook. I'll never forget it from a woman named Jennifer Duck, and the message was, "Hey Paul, my name is Jennifer Duck. Uh, I work for the Oprah Winfrey Network." And I was like, delete. Yes, bam. <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> um, so I deleted it. She sent Did me. Did you actually? No, no, for real. I deleted it. <gasps> and because that was also when people were like attaching weird stuff and spam and you know. Yeah. So, um, so I deleted it. I got another message maybe a day or two later. Oh my god! So I read persistent. the I read the whole thing because I thought, okay, let me read this. And I thought, I don't know. Doesn't seem. It seems like a joke. Maybe it's one of my my friends playing a joke on me. I'm not going to let them get the best of me. She sends me another message, maybe a week later, and it's like, Paul, this is Jennifer Duck. I uh, work for Oprah Winfrey. Uh, we would like to bring you out to uh, to L.A. Uh, you know, we want to talk to you about a project. So I was like, All right, if if you could really do this, if this is really you, buy me the ticket. You know. Um, but uh, I messaged back. We exchanged a few more um, emails, and they flew me out to, to L.A. And when they flew me out to L.A., I went to the Oprah Winfrey office, uh, Oprah Winfrey Network office. I'll never forget because they told me ahead of time Oprah would not be in the meeting, but I knew we were in her office, so I still got there early and walked tried to walk around the say, office. Yeah. And uh, I went to this meeting, and it was with Sherry Salata, who was the co-CEO of the network and on the spot they offered me a television show oh my god with Oprah on the spot and I went back home to DC and I was like just telling my friends and family sit down you're not going to believe this Oprah Winfrey just offered me a show to co-host with her and everyone's like yeah you're lying yeah. <laughs> it's like you're not telling the truth and I was like no I'm serious this is really a thing um, and, uh, and and long story short, uh, we started filming at the end of the year. Yeah, you must have learned so much from her. Oh, man, she, everything. Yeah, she was incredible. You know, also my wife loved her, but she is the best Oprah story, I think, on the planet. She, Better she, than yours. She, her, <laughs> at the end of filming the show, we had this big, like, ball, and my wife came in from Washington, D.C., and she was going to be meeting Oprah for the first time. So she was all super excited. She puts, my wife had this beautiful black sequence dress on, you know, for the ball. So I said, all right, Jill, come on. We'll, we'll go into Oprah's dressing room early. You, you'll meet her. Oprah has the same black. No, same, she doesn't. The same black dress on. No. Black sequence, the same dress. 
So they're, you know, admiring each other's dress. So <laughs> Oprah says, all right, well, we better get ready to go. So Oprah, and, like a auntie, like, come on, give me a hug. So Oprah and Jill hug. And they and get they, stuck. they try to move their head. They are stuck. Their no. sequence, their sequence has intertwined. <laughs> Oprah's assistants are trying to, uh, to unhinge her. Bodyguards coming out trying to unhinge. They can't unhinge the dresses. So my wife, who's super nervous to meet Oprah, is now stuck to Oprah. And her arm is literally like on Oprah's back, right? And the only thing, she was like, I was trying to think of something to say. I didn't know what to say. She rubs Oprah's back and says, Oprah, you have the softest back of anyone I've ever met in my life. And I was like, a soft back? She's like, but she does. Her back is so soft. Was, oh, my God. Yeah. How did they de-sequin? They had pe people, Oprah oh has people, my God. come in one by one, like, oh really un unhook. It took, it probably took 10 minutes to do to do the whole thing. Oh my god, that's wild. Yeah. What a great story. Oh man. Jeez. I know this journey we're on right now. Right. I, because I know, I know we're nearly where. So I would take this journey home every day because this is where I used to live. You're talking about COVID, this is where I live. And it's called Three Three Keys. Shabul Three Keys. Yes. This particular place is super, super special to me. Super, and actually super special to my family because not only was it the first, our first introduction to, uh, to, to London and to the UK, but because we stayed here during COVID, we literally spent about a year in one room. In one, one room here, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was serious, it was hardcore. It's really good that it brought you guys closer and probably you formed valuable memories that you may not have ever had the chance to do if you weren't put, pushed together in the same way. Oh my gosh. We, you know, we had a whole regimen of, okay, we're going to wake up, we're going to do Joe Wicks, we're going to get that done. Then what we're going to do is we're going to read for a little bit. Then what we're going to do is we're going to watch a movie together. And then remember, uh, during the early days of COVID, you could all take a break at a certain time. You could go outside. We would all go outside at a certain time. So what does this represent to you now? When the book is written on my life, this is a full chapter of my life right here. It's not a page. It's not a paragraph. I mean, it's, it's, this is a full chapter right here. Have there been parts of sort of British culture, I guess, that you've really loved and adopted? Yeah, I, I love South London. I love the diversity, the yeah. culture of South London. Where we live is the most diverse area with a population over 1 million people in the world. So there's 200 languages spoken in, in the area that we are in South London. Huh. And you get every bit of culture with those languages. You know, so everything. Wow, good play, good play. <laughs> um, oh, wow. But yeah, you, you get the music, you get the art, um, you get the fashion, you get the food for sure. The food is incredible. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. it I mean, it, it's like for me, growing up in New York where the people, who, the like the corner shops, 
there are so many people they never even remembered your name yeah whereas in this little village yeah. area that we're in everyone knows our name yeah we I have uh, left my phone to be able to pay and they're like oh what, just whatever pay me whatever you know come back whenever those kind of traditional old school like that does not exist where I'm from yeah so, wow yeah this looks familiar looks familiar because I would go from <laughs> Cheval Three Keys right over here this would be <laughs> the celebs go dating Yay. agency which has been basically your home, right? Yeah, and you know what's wild is we're getting ready to start filming, so they're probably, you know, they're probably working on it right now. They should be working on it right now. Are they? Yeah, yeah. So what would they be doing right now? Well, right now they're, they're rigging up the cameras because right. what a lot of people also don't realize is we don't have a camera crew inside. Oh. Yeah, there's no camera crew inside. Oh, so inside. you sort of Big Brother style it. It's Big Brother style, yeah. So, uh -huh. so we have, uh, depends on, on the series, but we have, you know, say dozens and dozens and dozens of cameras rigged all throughout that, through, through the agency. Oh, wow. So, so the moment that the celeb walks into the agency to the moment that they walk out, they're just being caught on these cameras. And it allows them to really forget yes. that there is anyone watching mm -hmm. and and step into who they actually are yeah you know kind of like what you're doing here yeah yeah you know? yeah that's really interesting because I guess ultimately while it's a celebrity reality show you still want to actually it's a congruent show isn't it you still want it to be real yes yes it's not a showman let's let's all be fake in front of the cameras right the, i mean we're, we're trying to strike that balance yeah. you know we're trying to strike the okay the agency this is real what's happening in here is 100 percent real um you know what you see in terms of uh the entertainment like uh with uh, rob beckett on the voiceover yeah. that's entertaining yeah. you know you get some voyeurism you know with them on the dates and sure they have the celebs have fun but hopefully you get all of that that's yeah. the idea that's really interesting and that is a balance that definitely is apparent when you very first started was it what you expected did you enjoy it instantly yeah so i one thing i do is um whatever project I'm on, I, I don't watch that project. Mm. Uh, so for Celebs Go Dating, I remember the producer said, hey, Paul, we want you to watch a couple of, of episodes and see if this is something that you like to do. And I, and I thought, I'll just do it. Three months in London, I'll just do it. Yeah. You know. So when I got here, I had no idea what to expect. I had no expectation. So therefore, I wasn't disappointed yeah. because I had no expectation. Yeah. And it's the same with uh, with Married at First Sight. You know, with Married at First Sight UK, uh, everyone says, Paul, did you watch Australia or do you watch the US version? No, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I, it's only the, the, the UK uh, format. So celebs didn't disappoint because... Yeah. I really didn't have the expectation. Do you, did you just sort of do the same thing with the celebrities? Like, because I guess it's hard not to have preconceived ideas about certain celebrities that are going to walk in through the door as well. So I didn't know anyone. Right. And even to this day, I, I just found out who the cast is for this upcoming one. I know no one. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that's good. Yeah. Because... The celeb walks in. I have no preconceived notion of who they are. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, they're, they're human to me. Yeah, that's really good. Have any surprised you? I mean, I guess that's 
a yeah, would be a yes for loads, right? Oh man, yeah, yeah. I mean, surprise me positively, surprise yeah. me negatively. Yeah. Um, you, you know, um, I think the show surprises them quite a bit because yes. I, I feel, you know, let's keep it real. They come on, they all get checks. Some of them get big checks, and then they get, then they land on a television show for probably two months, which is which is good, yeah. you know, for their career. So you could think, okay, just from the business standpoint, it's a good move for for some of them. But what I don't think that they truly expect is to be is is to to be tested mm-hmm. and to change mm-hmm. um, and. I think the best testament of that is probably Pete Wicks. You know, he's someone who has, I think he's been on the show, I think he's been on about seven series yeah. by now. <laughs> no, he, I think he's been on probably um, two. But I think when he first got to Slubsco Danny, he probably thought, oh, this is just whatever. And very quickly he realized, no, this is, this could potentially change my life to the point where I know the last time he was on, he had even asked, he wanted to be on. You know, because he enjoyed the experience. Yeah. So, because uh, you know, I mean, there, you know, therapy, any 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 range of therapy, whether it be, you know, a deeper psychotherapy, whether it be a general counseling, it is beneficial. It is it it is very helpful to express your emotions. Yeah. And have someone to express those with, and a lot of celebrity, a lot of people, just period, they. They don't have anyone to express their emotions. So you think there's there's real power in expressing yourself, and I think that's what the celebrities love yeah. about the agency. And and I think that what we have to understand is that that's, I think that's also what's cool about creatives, Yeah, is that you see that, wow, like, we all have pain. You know, I, I think that's the beauty. Like, even when it comes to television, I think that's what makes... TV characters or a cast work is that when you can see yourself in that person, no matter how how famous that person is, yeah. but you could still see yourself. You know, Beyonce, one of the biggest artists in the world. Do you know what uh, she does? She does these little things that just make people resonate. Like she's like, look, in my purse, I've got hot sauce in my purse. <laughs> like, like what? You're Beyonce, and you bring a hot sauce in your purse to the restaurant? Yep, that's what I do. So all of a sudden, you you can yeah. resonate. You could say, now I have never personally brought hot sauce in my purse, but you know, you could you could still resonate with with with, with that. So I think that's what makes yeah. us connect to these people is being able to see us in them. Do you think that's what has made celebs go dating work so well as well? Like the audience can, they get to see a different side. They get to see a vulnerable side. They get to see that they're actual human beings that struggle with, even struggle with things like relationships. You know, they don't have it all. They don't have love. They don't have those things that we just assume your life is amazing, whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. I I think that's definitely, that's that's the biggest part of the success. I, I think that... In addition to, I always keep saying, man, Rob Beckett is the most hilarious dude on the planet. So I think a lot of it I give him, I give him his props for. I think he does a lot of it. I think the celebs seeing how quirky they really are, that's a lot of it. I always say with, with Tom, Anna, and, and myself, we walk 
a line between reality and uh, the real world. Because, you know, reality TV is not the real world. And we're able to keep a foot in the real world yeah. and a foot in reality and, yeah. stra- and keep, keep that line straddled. So, yeah, they, they, have, they have so much skill to be able to do that. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself through it? Through, through that project? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. Even though I'm in reality, I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of reality TV, hmm. you know. Uh, but what I am a big fan of and, and what keeps me showing up on these projects is how we teach through the, through the projects, like through the cast. We're teaching vicariously through them. And I'll never forget, after my first series of Slubs Go Dating, I was walking somewhere in London, and this guy sh- walks up to me. He was like, Paul, I don't have a father. I don't have, you know, I don't have any male role models in my house. I appreciate what you say on Slubs Go Dating. And I realized, wow, I'm the, on- I'm the only, the nearest thing to a, 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 a male, you know, authority figure in this guy's life around relationships. I have to take this role, you know, res- yeah. responsibly. Like, I, I have to take this very seriously. Uh, and so that's how I view it. I view, yeah. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't view it as I'm showing up to a reality show. I view it as, okay, I'm showing up to counsel or I'm showing up to teach. How did Married at First Sight come about? That came about... So I had done a few series of Celebs Go Dating and they had reached out to me because they, they liked the authenticity that I brought to, to the project. They could see that I was very serious about uh, the counseling side. And so I was offered the job to Married at First Sight UK. And then, believe it or not, COVID is what made Married at First Sight UK hot. Really? Because Married at First Sight UK was, I think it was a very powerful show, the way, the old format, right? It was true docu-series, the couples never met, yeah. we followed them. Yeah. And then, so, so the show aired, and it always had, you know, respectable numbers on Channel 4. Mm. So, COVID hits, the channel, all channels are looking for content. So what the channel does is the channel then licenses Married at First Sight Australia. They license Australia. Everyone watches Married at First Sight Australia in the UK. It becomes a super hit. So the production company here is like, hold on for a second. We're going to make our show just like this one, you know? And so what we end up doing is we end up then including dinner parties and commitment ceremonies and all, and, and format changes that make it more like Australia. And then those tweaks make it a massive, massive hit. Admiralty Art. Oh my God. It was right here, this exact spot, when my wife and I decided that we were going to raise our boys in the UK and move here. Right here. And this was our first time coming into the UK. We had just arrived, Heathrow. We're coming in this way to go to Cheval, where you just took me. Yes. (laughs) And on this side of the road, right here, like right here in this spot, a, there was a motorist, it was a black motorist, and he was pulled over, so a police officer pulls him over. We're over here in this lane. Right. 
when he gets pulled over, immediately my boys grab my phone and they hold it out and they start filming what's happening on the side of the road. The driver is like, why, why are you filming? And my boys say, and I, and I tell them, I said, I said, this is what we do. You don't do this here? In the U.S. there had been so many black motorists that had been killed by police that what, what we would do is wow. we would film to protect the motorists. So my boys are filming. The white police officer walks over to the motorist. They exchange some words. We're wondering what, what is going to happen. Then the motorist smiles. He goes like this. Police officer high fives him and then they walk away. Now, that's not to say, I know the UK has got issues. Every country has issues. Me driving in Washington, DC, if a police officer were to pull me over, I remember I was pulled over in, um, I'll never forget this. We had taken a road trip to Nashville, Tennessee, in the States. And I had, uh, we had our two boys, but they were babies. They're in the back seat. My wife, a police officer, pulls us over. I'll never forget. I was shaking. My arms were, I mean, my, my hands were sweating. I, w I told Jill, I said, you know, keep the phone on just in case anything happens. If he tells me to get out the car, make sure that you turn. Like, you should not, in, in, in this day and age, nowhere in the world should you have to should, should you live in fear of being pulled over? So, you know, so, so you could understand when we saw that wow, here. the impact. Yeah. It's like we're going to stay here. Our final venue is... Yes. Jamaica Patty Company. Yes. Yes, man. <laughs> yes, man. Tell me about your Jamaican heritage. So my mother was born in the bush within the bush in Jamaica. My grandparents, obviously, aunts, uncles, uh, all Jamaican. And I would, I've been going to Jamaica since I was a little boy. And it is home for me. Really? Yes, it is home. Uh, I rep Jamaica strong. I love all Jamaican food. Yeah. Jamaican Patty Co. is one of my favorites because they make... They make a high-end patty. A matter of fact, the owner, Teresa, she was just appointed an ambassador nice. from Jamaica. Yeah, she's a cultural ambassador oh, now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. And her husband, because I mean, I, I go to Jamaican patty go all the time. Her husband taught me about the history of the patty, which I didn't know. Right. Comes from Cornwall. Does it? Yeah, a lot of people don't know this. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, the Jamaican patty comes from, what is it in Cornwall? Is it called the pasty or paste? Is it pasty, right? Pasty. Pasty. Yeah, it's pasty or pastry. Pasty. Uh, pasty. So the pasty, so what would happen, so here's the story. In Cornwall, they're miners. They were miners. Yeah. So aluminum or bauxite is the, it was the number one natural resource in Jamaica. So... The UK would send these coal miners, or should I say these bauxite miners, from Cornwall to Jamaica. And while they're mining, they needed something to eat during the day, so they had their pasties. And the Jamaicans got a hold of it, like we get a hold of everything, and remixed it a little bit. And that's what eventually became the patty. Oh, wow. Yes. 
Where is it? Oh, it's, uh, you see the JPC? Oh, yes! Yeah. No, the, the, the patties there are phenomenal. So you go to Jamaica a lot? Uh, a lot, a lot. Uh, I was just there, actually now it's a while ago, but I was there in January. Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, at, least, at least once a year I go to Jamaica. You know, Jamaica, in my opinion, is on a per capita basis, right? It is the most influential country in the world. And the reason why I say that is, is because there's only roughly two million people who live in Jamaica. And there's probably another two million people who live outside of Jamaica. Mm. So you have four million Jamaicans. That's not even London. But yet, anywhere you go in the world, when you start talking about Usain Bolt or Bob Marley or you put on reggae music or whatever it may be, Jamaica resonates. Yeah. And it resonates with a smile. To the point where when, sometimes when I travel, and I did this more so about five, six years ago, is I wouldn't say I was American. Because sometimes you get jump in a taxi, you say you're American, it's like, ugh. I say I'm Jamaican. And I tested the taxi. So sometimes I'll jump in, now I'm, I'm like, I'm from the UK. And you know what the taxi driver, if, let's say I, I was in, uh, where was I? I think the last, I did this, I was in Barcelona. So uh, I jumped in and I said, I'm, I'm from the UK. And you know what the taxi driver did? He's like, he didn't even smile. He's like, so then I said, jumped into another one. I'm from America. I'm from the U.S. Whatever. Jump in. I'm from Jamaica. Jamaica, ma. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's about Jamaica, ma. It's like you know, it, there, there's wow. like there's there's a thing yeah, that comes with it. That's so true. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? Is it because of Bob Marley and the likes of or? It's all of it, yeah. you know, it's, it's the sun, you know, it's uh, knowing the pain that Jamaicans went yeah. through. Um, it is the food, it's the, it's the vibrancy of the culture. Yeah. You know, Jamaica, just like the pasty, they remixed the pasty, you yeah. know what I mean? Everything in Jamaica is spicier. They've remixed life. They've remixed, you said it. Right, okay, let's go and get a fatty then. Can we get one? Let's do it. Let's do it. You're gonna right. love it. Okay, this is exciting. You're gonna love it. Let's eat in the car. Yeah. Let's eat in the car. This is a good, good place to eat. All right. Yes. All right, I'm so go. excited. There you go. Well, uh, hold on. You're about to to pull? Tear it. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I'm wearing a white top and I'm extraordinarily clumsy. Oh, but you can't tear though. That's not Jamaican style. You have to just eat it like this. Oh, okay. Okay, but you All can't right. spill any. All right, okay. ready? All yeah. Right. Mm. Oh my God, really good. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I really enjoyed our chat. Well, I did too. I thought it was unintrusive and it was just like it was, we just had a conversation. Yeah. Which was cool. Yeah. While driving, which I've never done before. <laughs> Hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You did not drive. I had to do that. <laughs> but I helped you though. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, but no, but thank you though. This is really good. Thank you too. Yeah, really good. Thanks so much to Paul Brunson for not only showing me around his adopted home city, but also treating me to a delicious Jamaican patty. You can see exclusive footage of the drive by heading to the Auto Trader socials. Look at the episode page for links. 
you'll also be able to see the twisted Defender that Paul was so thrilled to be driven in. And if you're looking for a new vehicle, you can find your perfect match at autotrader.co.uk. This is a new show and I'd love you to follow on your favourite podcast platform. Like what you hear? Rate and review and make sure you tell your friends so you don't miss an episode. Show on the Road is a fresh air production for Auto Trader. 